When people hear the term unschooling, they very often experience a moment of confusion. How can you be a home educator, they wonder, if you're not schooling? Veteran homeschooler Patrice Jennings is here to discuss a really fun topic, unschooling. It's not what you think. Welcome to Homeschooling Saints, the podcast that helps you create the homeschool you love for the people you love. Our host is Lisa Maladnik, a Catholic life coach, TV host, best-selling author, and an instructor at Homeschool Connections. Hello and welcome. I'm Lisa Maladnik, your host, and today we're talking with Patrice Jennings. Our topic is unschooling. It's not what you think. Patrice Jennings is a homeschool mom of seven. She's been homeschooling for over 17 years, and she has graduated her two oldest sons. Her eldest daughter is graduating this spring. Woohoo! Good work. <laughs> she came into homeschooling completely by surprise when her oldest son was four. When she started saying to herself that it was so enjoyable spending time with the children and teaching them about the world, that she would just like to continue indefinitely. Not only was there actually something called homeschooling, but that she had already been doing it and that it was alive and thriving in her local area of the New York City, Long Island area. Patrice has a bachelor's degree in international business and a master's and MBA in finance, but says that the most important credentials needed for homeschooling is a love of the one you are teaching and a love of learning and a willingness to pass that on to others. She has embraced unschooling as a method which allows for teaching multiple children of different ages, interests, and learning styles. She would hum up, sorry, she would sum up homeschooling as completely doable for anyone with a mind to do it, while knowing it is not easy, can even be heartbreaking at times, will never be perfect, but yet, in the end, absolutely worth it, and is so grateful she was given the courage to take this leap of faith. Welcome to the program, Patrice. It's so good to see you. Hi, Lisa. How are you? I'm doing Thank you great. Yeah, we were just talking before we started recording that you and your kids are getting out in the spring sunshine. It's just so nice to have the wind in our hair and the sun on our faces again. It feels so good. <laughs> yes. Every season brings its blessings. It sure does. It sure does. Look forward to, to everything that the seasons bring, and we kind of can run with it. Yeah, Every day brings something new. Yeah, that is the, is the spirit of it right there in a nutshell, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, really yes. running with it. So tell us about your decision to homeschool. How did you come to this point? <laughs> so let's see. So like I said, I didn't know it even existed. In New York City, very big on public schooling. I went to public school. My husband went to Catholic schools. But um, I was looking forward to it, to, to putting them into public school. I was looking forward to packing lunches, walking to school, helping with homework, meeting the teachers, meeting the other parents, and uh, then making friends, birthday parties, things like that. So my oldest son loved right away, very young little kid, loved academics, loved books, would walk around with books. And I had been reading to him every night when he was like six months old, I think I started. And... <laughs> We kept that up every single night. And at about age four, he said to me, would you teach me to read? He said, I want to formally, you know, he didn't say this, but he said, I want to read and write. So by the time he was before five, he was already reading at a like second grade level. I guess at the time I was counting levels, counting grades. I, I don't <laughs> do that anymore. And 
So it was, I guess he would be going into kindergarten and he was already like a second grade level with math and reading and writing. And I realized he would be bored. And I realized, why would I do that to him? And I, but I still was looking forward to all his friends from the park were going to school and he, you know, what would he do? All his friends would be gone from the park. So we did enroll in a kindergarten program, but they didn't have room for him in the school. And they were going to put him uh, in a, in a little, like a daycare center, like for universal pre-K and it was going to be blocks away. We didn't have a second car. It was just a disaster. I said, well, you know what, what I'm doing is working. I think I'll keep doing this. <laughs> and I kept doing it. And then my second son was the opposite. He wouldn't sit still for anything. And so we were putting them in little classes, the little, um, uh, farm, little local farm classes, little local biology, little animal center classes. And every time I go to pick him up, he didn't sit still. He didn't sit in the circle. He didn't, you know, um, he was listening, but he wasn't sitting. He wasn't being still. And that was a recurring issue. And meanwhile, my older son was leaps and bounds ahead and bored. So he would be getting in trouble. He would be actually getting up and looking at things and actually really um, wanting to learn more. But that was getting him in trouble. And so this was before first grade or even during the kindergarten year for my oldest son. And I said to myself, there has to be a better way. Um, are they going to spend their entire school career like this? They're going to be being corrected the entire time then. Because this isn't going to end. It, it's going it, to, this is, these, this is who they are. This is their learning style. And so kindergarten year came. I kept doing it. The family started asking, what are you doing? I said, and I jokingly said, I'm homeschooling because I didn't know it existed. Didn't even know it was legal. Didn't know anything about it. And started learning about it. I was at, we started giving him like little music lessons. We were at a music lesson and it didn't stick. We just did it for fun. And someone came up to me and said, are you a homeschooler? And I said, I don't know. I, I, am I like, does that exist? Is that a thing? And she said, don't worry, give me your email address. I'll put you on the list. And it opened up th this huge world of this group. And then I found more groups. And before you know it, I was, I was joined up in four groups. And we were going to park dates. We were going to museum dates. We were going to library play dates. The big thing was just the park, walking in the park, science classes, just birthday parties, just you name it. It was humongous. And, uh, and then I just realized that um, we moved to a different district and it was supposed to be a great district. Why wouldn't you put them in school? Now you'll put them in school, right? This is working. Why would I switch? And we kept doing it and people were questioning, but I just didn't care because we had our group and we forged ahead. And the, the learning styles were so different. So I had my son who was very academic and he would um, have all of his textbooks, his workbooks, and he would do all his work by himself. My second son um, liked doing physically hands-on, building things, stuff like that. But what we consistently did together were read-alouds. And I started very young, maybe when my oldest was five, doing chapter books every night, reading advanced chapter books. Um, and that turned out to be the unifying force where everyone, no matter what their learning style, they gathered around and would listen. And it actually helped not only with um, reading, because then once you love to read, you're more open to learning to read and reading on your own, but writing. 
And so what I would do was for anyone who was reluctant, I would get classics and be reading graphic classics. And before you know it, he was um, reading like the full versions of the, um, of like Call of the Wild and, and um, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. I bought a huge, um, uh, what, what would you call it? Like the, um, all of the books in one, the compendium of all the Jules Verne stories, for instance. He was reading 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and Journey to the Center of the Earth on his own. Like he, he loved it. Then we would read books like Dr. Doolittle, like get these old books. And some of this stuff was like a little, the humor was a little corny or the, you know, some of it, but the store, the main thing was the story was so imaginative. And with Dr. Doolittle, you're on a boat, you're sailing to different countries, you're learning geography, you're learning all kinds of animals, you're learning about different cultures, you're learning about different languages, you're learning about um, just the terrain of the earth. You know, it, it, every single subject can come up in these read-alouds and everyone's interested. So you're learning all these different topics. Um, and what was another one? And um, that was huge was Tintin, the Tintin. And this is more like in a comic format, but I heard about this early on and there was something called the read aloud handbook, but you can get a lot of them. There's different um, books that just list tons of great books to read. And um, it listed Tintin It was a comic book, but it had tons of wonderful vocabulary. So if the child is reading it, they're actually getting, I think it was 10,000 words in the comic book. So by the time the child would finish reading it, they weren't easy words. They would have at least recognized the words. They, if they, even if they didn't read it, they would ask me, what is this word? What does that mean? Because the story was so rich, they wanted to know. They would come and they would say, what is this word? Um, so then what happened was my oldest son started making his own comic books. And he would just take tons and tons. I would wonder where the printer paper was going, all this printer paper. And he would have the hole puncher out and he would be cutting rubber bands and tying the holes with the rubber bands and putting, I'd say, what are you doing? Making these hundred page books blank. And he'd just sit there and make his own comic books. He taught himself to draw. I mean, really nice. You know, it, it was like comic book style or what would you call it? Like, but it was, it was very good. Draw. He, he would use a ruler and he would have these, um, just straight roads and people and houses and everything was in proportion. He really did an over the, over the top job. And he would, you could tell he was modeling it off of all the stories we had been reading, the adventures, the animals, the battles, the people, the characters, the jokes, like the humor. He was trying to put that all in. And that, so that started when he was about four, five, I would say, because I remember that a, a, one of the first families we met he and the other boy were both six. He gave him a birthday present that, that year, monkey land or some, some with animals. <laughs> that was his birthday <laughs> present. And so I know he started at that age. And I have to say to this day, it passed down child from to child, to child, to child. They all did it to this day. My son, if I can, oh, here, my, I, my 10 year old and my eight year old have these blank comic books. I bought <gasps> <gasps> and they just fill them and fill them and fill them and fill them and fill them. Wow. And they do this all the time. And That's it's, fabulous. it was something he started because of Tintin and the graphic novels and listening. These are usually based on world War two. They love uh, history. So currently the topic is world war two, but it could be anything. And that has gone on consistently in this house since 
So he's 21 now. So what is that? 15, 15, 16 years. That's fabulous. Between all of them. So, but that, what I'm trying to say is like, that's all the subjects, right? That's reading, that's writing, that's vocabulary, that's spelling, that's, that's handwriting. It's art, it's history, it's science, it's, uh, and then they read it to each other. So you have this social component, which of course is in the family, but you have this, um, this compassion created where they're, they're making sure that the other is hearing them. Sometimes they act it out as in plays, you know, it's just, it's so many different things. So that takes a lot of time. Um, so if you're unschooling, it's not just me at a table going, here we go with the math. It's, they've been doing that for hours, maybe even before we get up. <laughs> and it's so rich. It, there's no TV on. There's no video games being played. There's not, they're not on a computer or a phone at all. They're doing that. And sometimes they're reading history books. They're reading science books, looking up facts to put in their books. And so right there, that's huge. And then, of course, you have to hone it in with like a math lesson. You have to, you know, hone certain things in, make sure you're on track. But for the most part, that involves keeping those books at the forefront of the living room, because then if they see those books, that's what they're going to pick up and read. You know, um, my 10 year old was asking about finance recently. So we just got a whole bunch of children's books about the stock market, about finance, about money. And I just scattered them around the living room. And every day he was just reading, 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 reading. And that's, he's getting those facts into him. He's not being tested on it. He's not being, but if he's reading it over and over and over again, do I necessarily need to? He comes up and asks me questions. We look at what he's talking about, you know. I look, I find him more information. Maybe we'll look up a video or we'll, uh, anything. Um, so that in essence is home is unschooling because each child is tailoring it for their own interests, which will bring them to what they eventually want to do. So right now, so my oldest two that started with this, the two different learners, uh, Joseph is finished, um, um, community college and he's working for during this pandemic year and he's transferring to the state school in September to finish an engineering degree because his love of science and physics and math, 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 um, was always, always at the forefront. He, and he just, that was another thing that he did when he was, I don't know, eight or nine. He would read math books. And when he was eight or nine, he asked me if he could study trigonometry. And I said, sure, I got him a trigonometry book. And there's a series of books, and I didn't put that in my links, but I can link it to you, is the Fred books, The Life of Fred, and which I've talked about over the years. You probably remember me saying it. And he would read it like a storybook, and it was trigonometry. And within probably a year or two later, he said, can I start studying calculus? So he was studying calculus from like age 10, 11 years old. And that was his main love calculus and chess and then these writers that no one's ever heard of like chesterton chesterton was one of his favorites and in our circle it's very popular but in regular colleges they never heard of it so um he wouldn't have got that if he had gone to school he wouldn't have had time to delve into that as much as he did his art he took he started teaching different types of art he did pastels, he did charcoal, he did oil painting, watercolor, just on his own. It was nothing big and special. He just did it on his own and he would give things as gifts and stuff. 
but he was able to dabble in it at his leisure because he was able to have that time. Um, so, and that was encouraged. So now he's going to study engineering. He's going to finish that degree. And then Conlon, who was very hands-on um, in his senior year, um, miraculously in our local district, they offered a, an engineering program just for seniors. And I saw that in the town paper and I said, you're doing this, it's free for the district. If you're in that school district, which we've been paying taxes into, right? For, for years and years and have never put a kid in. And he did that. And now he's working as an electrician's um, assistant for the past year during this Wonderful. pandemic. He loves, he loves it. So Wonderful. those two things were able, enabled them to just keep moving towards um, and I'm not saying that a vocation is something that would support you, but just something that would be, could be both, like something that would um, be something to support themselves, be a, be a career, but then also guide them towards their true vocation in the world, whatever they're meant to be. And we haven't figured that out yet, but I'm just saying like, these are, these are good places where they're going right now. So, but that was enabled because of the freedom to um, really delve into what what loves they had, what inspired them. I, I'm just curious, Patrice, because so many of so many homeschoolers are using boxed curricula or they're using part of one curricula and a little bit of this and a little of that. And they're, you know, the us moms would all get together, you know, we're on the same homeschooling network for those of you listening. And just like say, oh, what are you doing for that child? And my child is more active. What do you do for math for that person? Or this person's more cerebral. And we learn so much from each other. So did you ever have that phase of using any kind of boxed curricula? Or did you just kind of, because you started this homeschooling journey with other families so early in the process, did you just kind of pick up intuitively that you could design uh the the loose framework around your children as individuals i think it was a little bit of both right when you first start out the amount of choices you have is overwhelming and you can look into it and you're just hit upside the head with how many choices and how do you know and i can't spend this much money no one has the samples there to show you i'm not going to spend a hundred dollars there and a hundred dollars here and, and two hundred dollars there and have it all sent to me and try there was no way to do it um, luckily, very early on, I did notice that the, that the library was wealth of abundance. And if you used it well, like going every week and just getting books about, um, you know, you have to be careful of the library, of course, right? as you know, <laughs> because of certain books that they might have more of, right? But I find with math and science, um, it was pretty great. And other things like maybe... Um, classical stories, stories about other cultures, language, things like that. And you get an abundance of those books and learn so much. And then with history, um, you have to be a little bit more discerning. Uh, what are you reading here? I'll read it more aloud with you and pay more attention. Um, and then the novels that you're reading, like the, the, the literature, you have to be more discerning. But it was just a, such a wealth and we had already been doing it. So I really didn't feel too beholden. We were already so busy just with that alone. And then I felt, I did get boxes for, I remember getting a box of Spanish curriculum. I got a box of grammar. I got, it didn't work. They wouldn't, no, no one would all sit still and do this. It wouldn't. And if I was sitting with one kid and doing this for two hours, who I'm going to come along and do it with someone else for two hours. Like it would just, it, it never worked. There was just too much running around. Everyone was very close in age. There was not going to be any, me being at a dining room table with them for hours. 
it wasn't going to work. The only thing that worked with the energy levels that we had was getting out early in the morning. My husband also had a very strange schedule. He would work very late at night. It was very um, changeable. He'd be working overnight. Sometimes he'd come home. He'd be sleeping. We had to get those kids out. Those kids were getting dressed, <laughs> quick breakfast, get out. We were going to the park. We would be out early and out till lunch, just out. Walk to the store, walk to the library, bring snacks with us. We're out. We'll come back at noon, nice and exhausted, have lunch, watch maybe a little Dora the Explorer or something, <laughs> which I, we did do. And um, then read, 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 and nap time. Very strict schedule of that. That was busy enough. I didn't see any need. And we were getting everything because when you read aloud, those read alouds, and I noticed more people emphasizing that, but you get everything. You get the grammar, you get the spelling, you get all, all of this. And pronunciation. I've noticed in households where they don't do a lot of reading aloud, the kids still are reading a lot on their own and have wonderful vocabularies, but they don't pronounce a lot of the words correctly because they haven't heard them. Mm-hmm. Right. Joseph would do that a lot. He would read a lot on his own and he would say these words. He still does it to this day. He'll say some words. And I say, and I can tell he's reading like some scientific tome. But he, and I said, that's not how I heard it in chemistry class. You know, he said, oh, <laughs> but it's because he, so that in, in a way, well, I'll make fun of him. It's all fine. It's all fine. Right, right. I'll make fun of him. But it's, it's true. It's true. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's just, it's a wonderful catch all, I found. Of course, do everything, doing everything else. And if you have maybe um, a child who is, who does love to sit down, love to uh, workbooks, that can be good. We did a box with phonics, for instance. We had that box and hooked on phonics. And we did all those five boxes in one box. And I did that with every child. But that was something that they would do. And it was done quick because phonics, you know, we tried to do it at a very young age. And it was, you know, a rite of passage around here it became a rite of passage. And, um, but that's really all we did with the box. But I guess it is because very young, we found out that read alouds were so great to do. Let me ask you, you have an MBA, you were not brought up homeschooled. So what kinds of obstacles just within yourself did you have to overcome to allow your kids to flourish in such a, a free, self-led learning environment? Well, it's always going to be the in-laws, right? It's always going to be the family, the friends, the neighbors, you know, what are you doing? Um, for some reason, that didn't bother me so much at first. Um, well, maybe the in-laws did bother me more because then you're, you're, you're worried that they think you're, uh, taking their, their flesh and blood down the wrong path, I guess. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's your sure. fault. It's a lot of pressure um, for a young mom. Yeah. So, but I think the biggest thing was just, um, thinking they'd be behind, like, am I going <laughs> to, am I going to be failing them? And you keep thinking that mm -hmm. even though, you know, they're ahead. You keep thinking, and of course, years later, okay, there was no, it was harder to get like an AP class. We did have struggles with that. Um, studying for the SAT, we did it differently than they did it in school. They taught to the test. It's hard to compete with that. And at the time, I didn't really know about the online classes with that. Um, but for all is, all is said and done, the SAT doesn't define you. Those AP classes don't define you. They don't really... Um, indicate your true knowledge at all so that was a hump we had to get over that oh you know this kid is studying um master's level physics 
yet on the SAT physics <laughs> multiple choice test didn't didn't uh, do so well maybe you know what I mean like that that kind of thing where you have to really not define yourself in those terms of everyone else that's going through the school system because it doesn't um, it's, it's it's something's lost in the translation and the, and the school systems don't inspire a lifelong love of learning either most most of our high school and college graduates don't read for pleasure. Most of them, the overwhelming majority of them, but homeschooled kids do. They have a lifelong love of that inquiry, the imaginative journey of fiction, the ongoing learning of just delving into resources to, so they can get their curiosity fulfilled in some way. I mean, just it, there's such a huge difference in their intellect and their qualities of, of imagination and, and just presence in the world. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. And I think back to my own childhood, and I wonder where did where did that come from? Um, what, what, I wasn't homeschooled, obviously. But when I had a question um, from my homework, I remember my mother specifically saying she wouldn't just answer the question. She'd say, I'm getting the dictionary. And I'm looking up the word, and I'm going to find its origin. And she wouldn't just say all that. She would just go and do it. And she said, oh, that's interesting. It comes from this, the origin of this and the origin of that. And this is what makes it that me. And so it really is a different meaning than we even take it to mean. And this is where, it and she would do that for everything. And we didn't have encyclopedias. We had no, obviously no internet. Um, but that um, delving into it, like an interest in every, the nuances of, of, of things that maybe you weren't necessarily interested in. If something was on TV, like the, Boston Pops Orchestra or something. I'm trying to remember what would be on Channel 13, like the PBS station. Boston Pops. We're not necessarily big, you know, into that, but something was interesting about that. And what were they doing? And where did when did that start? And let's find out about that. And that kind of curiosity was always there. And um, that was that that was um, contagious. And then I did have like a couple of uncles. Um, who would also delve deeply into into subjects or dabble in different subjects. Today, I, I think I'm going to learn Italian. I just want to start learning Italian. I want to learn. I'm I'm you know 60 years old, but I want to learn the piano today, and I'm going to study it, the keyboard, and and you know different things or um, traveling. We we bring uh, traveling and trips into our curriculum. So when we studied. Um, American history, specifically the Civil War. We took a trip to Gettysburg. We went down south. We went to Williamsburg. Um, we just tie it in with the um, with the curriculum. But I also pick books on tape that pertain with literature, not just like textbook type stuff, but literature. And we'll listen to that on our trips, going down, coming back, go to the places, visit, you know, specific spots, and know about who was there and. Um, we do all of that just delving in, and it's just very interesting, and it really, really keeps people interested. Wonderful. Which resources have inspired you most along the way? Initially, we I read Montessori. I had wanted to turn the little room that we had for the babies into a Montessori room, and it wasn't. I was trying to get all those big shapes and just different things. wasn't going to work, but I, I was inspired by it, and Charlotte Mason was um, outdoor education, like being outdoor, journaling, appreciating nature and being out in nature and knowing that if you, whenever we, and we, this would happen, the kids would be fussy indoors. We'd come out, you're immediately taking a walk in the neighborhood, going down to the park. Now we lived in Queens at the time when my kids were little, never a dull moment in the street. You could walk down any different street and something was happening, but you'd go into the park 
we would find this amazing bunch of nature. You know, one day we, we were looking in the little pond they had there and we saw a huge tail. We couldn't imagine what it was. It turned out that someone released a snapping turtle in there and it grew in there. And we were just watching this thing as it came out. I've never seen a turtle this big wow. and it was dangerous. So <laughs> we weren't near it, but just something like that. It's just amazing. And uh, the day we found the puffball mushrooms, that was so memorable. They found these mushrooms that would puff smoke out of them. And they were just so fascinated. Um, you could walk into this park and it was like you were in a different world. We would be in there for at least two hours just talking about nature. Yeah, I remember we read uh, The Trumpet of the Swans and my husband took our daughter to the, the park where there's a little pond and there were swans. And so she went over to, you know, well, probably a little too close to a swan and started making what she thought were the right sounds to it. <laughs> and she was probably, I don't know. She was just a little girl. And she turned to my husband and said, I'm talking to the swan. I don't know what I'm saying, but I'm talking to the swan. She was having the best time. And, it, and yes. it's amazing. And I've read, too, that there have been all kinds of studies that the more time spent in nature, the higher your IQ goes. Like, it's actually literally good for your brain just to be outside. Yes. And we can feel that, right? When you feel it. It's just the, the, Even little babies, they immediately are calm. You know, that was every single baby we ever had. The minute we're outside, they're all bundled up in the stroller. They're immediately calm. And that's it. Let's start our walk. We're, we're going to be out here for hours. Every, no, rain, um, snow, sleet. I didn't care. We were going to be out. <laughs> and there was a tree on the way to the park. And every time it was raining, so we would be raining. We'd be out walking. We called it the snail tree. And it was a huge tree. And when it rained, all the snails would come up from the ground and just go up this tree. So we would walk to that tree. It was halfway between our house and the park. And we would count all the snails that we saw. And sometimes <laughs> oh, they'd wow. gently touch the, the little antenna or the, the eyeball, whatever those were. And they'd, you know, just gently. And then they'd, you know, sink back in. And, <laughs> and you just count them. Just this amazing experience. And so calming. And you're out doing that and you're out for hours. And you don't even feel like it's hours and you come back and then you read a book and you take a nap. It's just, I don't know, this, it was very calming for them and, and uh, it made them love it. So you, you're loving the conversations, you're loving the outings, you're loving the reading. It just follows a natural flow that you're going to want to learn to read on your own. You're going to want to learn to write on your own. You're going to keep reading and then reading about all subjects from everything. I mean, I spread books, astronomy. Um, the, the author of uh, Curious George wrote astronomy books for kids. I, I never knew that as a kid. Those went out there, you know, um, tons and tons of resources for kids. And they're just, you know, um, from taking classes in college 101 levels, it was pretty much the same stuff. You know, I mean, there's no reason why kids can't learn some of that stuff. A, a college-level 101 geology class. It's not, it's not difficult to describe volcanoes and, and um, plate tectonics and lava and magma and, and all this stuff. They're fascinated by it, and it's not too much for them to dabble into, and they, they're reading all about it. They know all about it because it's just fascinating. They love reading. So it's every subject. So you, that's, all you, that's what you have. Wow. So take us out with just some final thoughts of encouragement or whatever it is that's left on your heart to share with us as we wrap up. Okay. So I would say 
that people shouldn't be intimidated. If this is in, if this has been inspired to you, if you feel that this is your calling, um, you can do it. You don't need a big degree. It all it all it takes is that you love learning, um, and you you really want to share that and you want to inspire that in somebody else, because really, um, the expression that I used one time there were these. Um, a few teachers I knew from the family and they didn't like the fact that I was homeschooling. So they said to me, just came up to me out of the blue and said, so you're not worried about everyone's behind or, or, or you're going to shortchange them. Some like comment like that, where it was meant to be like, I was going to be frightened by what I was ruining my children. And I remembered a quote um, that I had read. And of course I'm going to forget who said it, but it said um, that education is not the filling of a bucket. It's the lighting of a flame. And that stuck with me because it's not about what you are teaching somebody. It's about you teaching somebody to love learning and then they teach themselves and you just provide the resources. And that's what it is. And I'm not saying that's going to be perfect. And that's the end all and be all. And you're going to have, you know, <laughs> a perfect, <laughs> perfect uh, experience. But that is what it is because like what you said, you have people out there who have multiple degrees and wonderful grades and don't really remember what they learned or don't even really care what they learned. And so what would you rather have, right? You'd, ra you'd rather have someone who loves learning and keeps learning and especially to learn the truth. It leads, a, a great education just le keeps leading people to the truth. And that's the ultimate, what we want for our children. Amen. Ooh, thank you so much. Perfect note to end on, Patrice. I can't thank you enough for your generosity and sharing about your life with your children and what an adventure I'm sure it continues to be. Um, really, really appreciate you. Oh, thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you for asking me and for being curious about unschooling because most people will, you know, shy away from that topic. But once you learn more about it, it isn't as crazy sounding. So thank you so much. My pleasure. All right, everybody. Thanks for being with us. Stay tuned for our short feature coming right up. Hi, I'm AJ Catapan. Welcome to Books and Blessings, a place where I get to share with you some of my favorite books for Catholic teens and tweens. Today, I'd like to share with you a young adult novel called The King's Prey, from Catholic author Susan Peake. The King's Prey is sort of a fictionalized version of St. Dymphna's life. Susan Peake specializes in taking the stories of little known saints and expanding upon what we do know to imagine what their lives, as well as those who encountered them, might have been like. In the historical novel, The King's Prey, Princess Dymphna's life has become a nightmare. Her mother has died and her father, the king, has gone insane. Overcome with grief, her father begins to believe Dymphna is his wife and vows to marry her. When she's forced to flee the castle to escape her dad, Dymphna runs to the hut of her mom's former minstrel, a young man named Briak. Unfortunately, he has his own problems. A tragic incident from his childhood has left him with feverish nightmares, and he can't remember exactly what happened to all of his family members, except that they're almost all dead. The only other living member of his family is a brother who had declared he'd had enough of him. Author Susan Peake is a master at keeping up suspense and tension. I read this book when, quite frankly, I really should have been reading some other books. Susan weaves the tale of the two brothers together with the tale of the fleeing Princess Dymphna, and it's hard not to get swept up into these characters who are running for their lives. Given the fact that this is a tale of a young woman fleeing from a father who wants to marry her, 
the back of the book suggests that it is best for ages 16 and up due to mature themes. Susan Peek never gets graphic about what would happen if her father guts his hands on her. And adults might shudder more than teens at what is implied. However, there is a certain amount of violence as the story involves some martyrs. So parents should use their best judgment as to whether or not they feel their young teens are ready to handle it. The King's Prey by Susan Peek has earned the Catholic Writers Guild seal of approval and was a finalist in the 2019 Caller Awards. For more book suggestions, visit my website at ajcatapan.com. Also, check out my YouTube channel to catch episodes of Catholic Live, where I interview Catholic authors with new books releasing. Just search for AJ Catapan on YouTube or follow the links on my website, ajcatapan.com. Thanks for joining me on Books and Blessings. Until next time, happy reading. That's our show for today. Our program is sponsored by homeschoolconnections.com, where you can get online courses for your grade school, middle school, and high school student. Learn from the experts and make your homeschooling easier. Be sure to leave a review and share this podcast with your friends. And we'll see you next time here on the Homeschooling Saints podcast.